0: Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you've had a great day and are ready for a weekend. Because it it's gonna be great. It always is when you think positive, positive things happen. Even if the sun is not shining, it's still a beautiful day, my friends. And that's the that's the clue to uh your life uh think positive positive things will happen um and yeah absolutely invest in the positive invest in the action and the fruit of the action will come automatically you don't have to bother about it so yes effectively um i i apologize my voice is a little bit hoarse because um yeah i, I think i'm getting cold um i hope it's okay i got my tea my uh, My green tea at the side of me. But beyond that, I'm okay. Um, Having said that, let's get straight into it. So one of my listeners today asked me, uh, what are my views on the Ukraine war? So I was like, okay, that's a long question to ask. Um, So I will get into... um, the issue of the Ukraine war why I think it happened what are the reasons behind it and we'll go from there okay as I always say we are cyclic it's our currents that form the waves it is not the waves that form the currents so the waves might change because the form the the power of the waves might change because but it's still the same water it doesn't it doesn't it's not any different it's the same currents. Forming the same type cycle of waves and it goes, comes to the beach, finishes, goes back in the ocean, and, and then reforms again. So that's who we are the currents and waves. The labels will change, but the mentality will not because it's not the labels that define the mentality. It is the mentality that defines the labels. It is the currents that form our waves. So let's start by saying this kism that is. East and West, Russia, uh, the Orthodox, head of the Orthodox, practically the head of the Orthodox Church, practically, not exactly, versus um, the West, which is Latin Christian. It did not start yesterday, my dear friends. It started a very, very long time ago, time ago 2,000 years, and prior to that must have been some other empire. But... It is uh, a war that I'm really ashamed of, and I kept telling people for a very long time, um, look, um, I can't be more ashamed as it is right now, because this is not just any war. This is a war between two Christian denominations, this is a Christian war. It is insulting, um, it is very embarrassing, and even though I'm an ex-Christian, you just want to hold your head in shame. and. Um, So I'm going to give you the reasons behind this war, the journey that it has taken for thousands of years. Okay? And it's come to this and we'll go from there. So I'm reading from something called BibleStudyTools.com, The Great Schism of 1054. You want to take notes and I will put the link in my podcast uh, page, The Great Schism of 1054. Okay? So this is where it starts. When we're talking about splits and divisions in church history, you you really have to specify which one. There are Protestant Reformations in the 16th century, the Papal Schism of the 14th century, the East-West Schism in the 11th century, also known as the Great Schism of 1054. The Schism in 1054 was truly great because it divided the church, which at that time extended from the upper corners of Ireland down to Egypt. The once unified church was split into the Eastern Orthodox Church of the Byzantine Empire in the East, and the Roman Catholic Church of the Holy Roman Empire in the West. Um, So, when I take a look at that, uh, what I am saying is, uh, the Western Empire stretches from Ireland, Britain, uh, Spain, Portugal, France, uh, Germany, uh you'll have russia uh, italy you'll have a little bit if i'm not mistaken of uh romania austria all coming to that okay germany is there um some of the northern states uh are there but denmark um if i if i'm not mistaken uh but all these uh, western european states in the east you have greece you have uh um, Anatolia, Turkey, which was once- uh, Anatolia, Turkey was once the Christian, base of the Christian Empire in Constantinople. Um, you have Russia, you have all the Baltic states- uh, not all the Baltic states- um, some of the Eastern European states. Um, Armenia is there into it. Um, you have Georgia. You, yep, yeah, you have um, yeah basically all the eastern states um, that are in this eastern Eastern Christian Empire, at one time Egypt, North Africa was also in the Western empire. so that's very important to understand. So going back to this, the great schism of 1054 was a, was not a single event in time, but it was a long time coming. Uh, revealing years of tensions between Christians in the West and Christians in the East. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was supposed to deeply unify believers from nation, peoples, from any nation, people and language. So how could Jesus' church sever ties like they did during the Great Schism of 1054? Nearly 1000 years later, historians have enough of hindsight to look back and notice some of the early signals and lasting consequences of what happened, without the confusion of being right in the middle of such a storm. With a strong undercurrent of emotion, what happened leading up to 1054? uh, What can the church learn to avoid another split like that? What was that great schism of 1054? So by 330 AD, the Roman Empire split into two, the Byzantine Empire um, in the east and the Western Roman Empire in the west. Latin was largely spoken spoken in the west and Greek in the east, but the church was still unified for most of the part. Um, What started as a geographical, political, and language differences between the Eastern church and the Western church began to also include theological, eccestrianism, Echistological differences throughout the years, culminating with each side calling the other heretics who were not to be trusted and tolerated. In 1054, Leo IX, the Bishop of Rome in the West, excommunicated Michael Cerularius, the Bishop of Constantinople in the East. In return, Michael Cerularius also issued an excommunication. The Great Schism of 1054 resulted from a power struggle between these two bishops and the different ways, differences in the ways that led Christians to practice the church and view God. After severe after these severe ties, the church became the Eastern Orthodox Church of, and the Roman Catholic Church in the West. Pinpointing the causes and results of the Great Schism of 1054 is like trying to make sense of the church infighting today. You have to go back decades for the context and have a grain of salt on hand while researching different perspectives about why and why things happened. So here are three of the causes of the great schism between the Eastern and Western European uh, Christian Empire in 1054. So there was a power struggle between bishops, that's point number one. The Roman Empire was enormous. At its peak in in the early 2nd century, it spanned 5 million square miles. To kindle your imagination, the entire United States is 3.8 million square miles. The emperors in Rome struggled to maintain power over such a large area. So in 330, uh, Emperor Constantine split the empire into two. The Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire of the Byzantine or the Byzantine Empire. He also made Constantinople the new capital. After the invasion of barbarian tribes in the west and the fall of Roman in, in three ninety five, uh, the bishop of Rome enjoyed enjoyed increasing power. But from um, five five thirty seven to seven fifty two, the bishops even the bishops of Rome weren't official without the Byzantine Empire's approval. That check-in power was removed in the 8th century as the Byzantine Empire began to struggle itself, especially when a new religion called Islam spread into the area. At that time, the Western Roman Empire was gaining strength again. The Bishop of Rome uh, crowned Charlemagne as a new emperor since then the bishop of rome gave the final seal of approval on the roman emperors not the other way around the bishop of rome steadily gained power and sought to extend it over the four uh, main bishops alexandria antioch constantinople and jerusalem by the time leo the ninth was bishop of rome michael serra the bishop of constantinople resisted leo's reach in The Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Church, had had a more localized power structure, relying on a congregation's priest and area's bishop. The church power and authority in the Western Roman Empire was most centralized, relying on the Bishop of Rome. So beyond these power structures in the actual churches, the West way of doing, doing church was different from the Eastern way of doing church. So you had the bishops on one side fighting against each other, nominating their candidate as emperor. Um, That is important. So that was the struggle between the bishops. The second point was differences and disunity in the church, the geography and the culture. When the church lost political unity after Emperor Constantinople, Constantine split the empire in 330 into Western and Eastern Roman empires, Rome fell to barbarian tribes. The Western church was left to look at the Bishop of Rome for stability and security. Um, Christians in the West and East were then politically separated and had different leaders and languages. People in the East spoke Greek and people in the West spoke Latin. Fewer and fewer people spoke both Latin and Greek, so they didn't talk to each other or learn from each other. The theology aspect, the issue of venerating religious icons had been a sore subject in the church for a long time. Leaders in the East went through a few periods of banning icons and um, replacing them with crosses and then aligning them in churches again. In the West, the church always was in favor of them. So the Eastern and Western churches differed on a few points in the way they practiced church and viewed God. In the East, priests could marry, but in the West, priests had to commit to celibacy. Communion bread in the East must be leavened bread with yeast in it. In the West, however, priests could serve communion with unleavened bread. Churchgoers in the East sometimes dipped their leavened bread into communion wine, while the churchgoers in the West never did. These differences in practice were enough to inspire some side-eye from both groups. But the breaking point for the church in the East was when the Bishop of Rome edited the N- 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 nicene Creed without collaborating with the Eastern bishops. Disrespecting the other bishops wasn't the only problem. The edit that Bishop Leo IX had made made indicated a significant significant theological difference. The Nicene Creed before the change was co- said was as such, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life uh the proceeds from the Father, so this is the Trinity, my friends you've heard the Trinity uh the Father got the Father, got the Son, got the Holy Spirit, that is a Trinity of the uh Christian Church, okay, mostly the western Church uh that is what mostly Roman Catholics will say, so it's a creed it's like um something like the Shahada in Islam. So the Nicene Creed, which was which was originally erected in I think 323 AD, I'm not sure. It said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, the who proceeds from the Father. The Father means God. Uh, but after Leo's edit, it said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, the proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Son being Jesus. So basically the Trinity. Okay? So they added a theological difference, the ideology, a way of saying things. It meant the same, but it was just a way of saying it. So the Eastern bishops saw this as diminishing to God the Father from whom they said God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Whereas the bishops from Rome edited the statement of belief to say that the Spirit proceeded from both the Father and the Son. These differences in in the way the two groups viewed God and practiced church resulted in deep unity. disunity. Uh, so the Holy Trinity, the the Trinity as you know it, um, as we know it in the Christian um, religion, uh, sort of, you know, was just edited a little way, and because of that, the two sides split, and uh, you know, each started saying it their own way. The third most important part was the jurisdiction on the bishops. So amid these differences, Bishop Leo IX and Bishop Michael Serrailius kept an eye on their territories, especially in the middle of the maps, uh, where church customs and ideas were more likely to bend. Eastern churches in Italy who spoke Greek were told to do things the Western Latin way. And some churches in Constantinople preferred uh, to practice church the Western way, while Bishop Michael of Constantinople did not approve of this. These churches were told to adapt or shut down. Bishop Leo IX sent letters defending them. Bishop Michael sent letters in return to Leo, who then sent a delegation of people with another letter, which was ignored by the Eastern bishops once he was offended to see the letter had been opened and shared. So the tensions went back and forth. Then finally the bishops of Rome, Rome's delegation, burst into church service at the Hagia Sophia Church in Constantinople, placed the final letter on the altar, the letter excommunicated Bishop Michael. He retaliated with his own decree of ex- excommunication. So these resulted in the severance of the church, my dear friends, the great schism of 1054. After the leaders of the Church in the West and the East excommunicated each other uh, in 1054, they split into two separate churches, the Roman Catholic Church of the West and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East. Cries for reunion had never answered until 1962, during the Second Vatican Council, when Pope, also uh, known as the Bishop of Rome, recognized the sacraments of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And then in 1965, Pope Paul VI, and Patriarch of Constantinople, revoked the excommunication after 9-11 years of broken relationship. Um, that was one. Uh, secondly, the papacy, that means the, po- the Pope. The Bishop of Rome was very powerful in the West, but after the Great Schism of 1054, he was a single legitimate uh, bishop in the eyes of the Western Christians. The Pope continuously grew in power until the next schism in in the 14th century. The Western Schism, also known as the Papal Schism, the Eastern bishops in Constantinople, Antioch and Alexandria struggled with theological fights and the rise of Islam, both which weakened their power. Um, The weakened Byzantine Empire also was one of the results of the schism. The Great Schism of 1054 was dramatic, and consequential, but most of the fighting was between the higher-ups. Bishops and delegations. On the day the church split in 1054, many everyday Christians may not have noticed. It might have been like the church leaders nowadays had irreconcilable theological disagreement at a convention or a conference. The fight would be significant, but it might take a while to trickle down into the lives of most churchgoers. However, enough of differences and points of disunity existed for the two sides to see what other what each other to see each other as the other. The Western Christians may have lifted their nose up, up at those odd Christians in the East, who dipped their communion communion bread and had priests who married. The Eastern Christians might have had their own criticism. In 1024, the other became the enemy. During the Fourth Crusade, Christian soldiers from the West were on their way to recapture Jerusalem from the Muslim rule. Thousands of Orthodox Christians were murdered. Churches, icons were desecrated. Um, um, sorry, on the way, the brutally captured Constantinople from the rule of the Eastern Orthodox Christians. Uh, when Islam conquered, uh, thousands of Orthodox Christians were murdered. Churches and icons were desecrated. The undying hostility dwelled up between the East and the West. Surely news of the attack spread faster and hit harder than the news about bishops' excommunications. After this devastation, the Byzantine Empire recaptured Constantinople in 1261. But they weren't nearly as strong as they once were. Not 200 years later, Constantinople fell to the Muslim rule via the Ottoman Empire. The Christian Church once thrived in Turkey the country where Constantinople was. The Apostle Paul was from there. The Church of Ephesus, among other churches mentioned in the Holy Bible, were there. But now a remnant of about 171,000 Christians remain, their light burning faithfully in the shadow of Islam. Uh, the fourth uh, overflow um, was the diminished, a diminished witness to the world. Sometimes churches church schisms happen over disagreements that are crucial to the gospel. In this, in the case of the Reformation, when the Protestant Church resulted from splitting the Roman Catholic Church, it was good that Martin Luther confronted corrupt church leaders to face their wrong, harmful doctrines, such as selling vouchers to the wealthy who tried in vain to pay pay for their sins. But uh, when Christians disagree without whether to dip or not to dip, one's communion bread, it It's good to remember that unity and diversity has always been God's heart for his people. Throughout the world, he urges the importance of unity. The church's unity, centered on Jesus Christ and empowered by his Holy Spirit, is so important to God because it's powerful witness lost to the world. It shows the world how true, powerful, beautiful God is because how else could a group of people from every nation tribe and language come together? Well, my dear friends, um, all of that meant nothing, nothing because all these fancy words and the Bible and the, you know, rhetoric meant, um, nothing because 1054, uh, the church broke and that schism never healed. No God, no Jesus who could come. Um, Even though they talk about it, they try and plaster it, it never came. And that schism went on. Generation after generation, uh, decade after decade, civilization after civilization, empire after empire, the church came down. And because of that, uh, they've never seen eye to eye. Even when they came together in the case of the Second World War to fight Russia, to fight Hitler, they went back to their bases and started fighting all, all over again. And this time, not only did they fight, but to protect their own country from the war, they took their war to different parts of the world, trying to convince each part of the world that their ideology is the best. So you have the uh, proxy wars, uh, also called as the Cold War, which divided and displaced and broke nations and killed and butchered millions of people, Uh, from Angola to Africa, to Yemen, to Vietnam, um, to the Indian subcontinent, my friend, for those who think it was Hindu-Muslim that broke the Indian subcontinent, it was not. It was a civil war between two opposing ideologies of socialism and a free market economy. So it was a cold war. It was a socialist cold war between Nehru's socialism and Jinnah's free market economy, which was labeled as Hindu-Muslim. But it was never a Hindu-Muslim war. So the Indian subcontinent suffered from the Cold War, uh, Yemen suffered from it, uh, Vietnam suffered from it, a lot of uh, Asian countries suffered from it, we have Angola, we have uh, we have Cuba, all these countries suffered, Cyprus was broken because of it. Um, And look, uh, this this is not something that's easy. It has gone on. The currents have formed the waves. But they refuse to recognize that the anger and the aggression is on the inside. Until they heal, until they understand the stupidity of, oh, I don't agree with you for this. You don't agree with me for that. And so we're going to fight because I'm right. And I'm the truth, the way, the life. And you fight. You're the truth, the way, the life. And it goes on and on and on. You see Hinduism or you see, should I say, dharma. Uh, because we are pluralistic religion, we are pluralistic ideology or, or way of life. We understand that each road has will meet at the same jun- at another junction at the same way that it started. Because we are cyclic, we understand the cycles of life. We understand that we are currents and waves. So we don't have uh, Brahmanism facing um, hitting against someone a Vishnuism. The Vish Vishvites hitting on the Shivite. We don't have that. We have other stupid things, but we don't have that. So do they want to learn from us? No, but they want to degrade us. They want to degrade India. They want to degrade the Vedic civilization, but they they fought and killed each other for 2,000 years, 3,000 years, sorry. And it hasn't stopped, but they have the audacity, the absolute audacity to, to point the fingers at someone else, where they have no guts to call themselves out. They keep saying Hindus are wrong, Hindu fascists, Hindu extremists, Hindutva extremists, Modi is bad. Look at them fighting. Look at them fighting. How many Christians are dying? No one cares. They're more bothered about how many Christians are dying in India because oh my god of Modi the big bad fascist but they're not bothered about the three finger fascist fingers pointing at themselves and the schism that has divided them for ridiculous perceptions of your mind i mean who really cares what you you believe in i mean you believe in the holy trinity someone else believes in something else does it really matter at the end of the day you are just a human being and look at the outcome of this we always say invest in the action don't bother about the fruit of the action because if you want the positive fruit of the action, you have to invest positively if you invest in the action negatively you'll get negative fruit but then for three thousand years they've these Abrahamic groups have fought. For 2,000 years, Christian groups have fought. For 1,000 years, there's been a schism within Christianity. You think they're not going to have this war now? The currents are not going to form its waves? Of course. The labels will change, but the mentality will not. Because it's not the label that defines the mentality. It is the mentality that defines the label. It's your currents that form your waves. It is not the waves that form the currents. You have to heal, my friends. So just to go back quickly to the reasons of the current war, uh, chapter of war between the two divides. uh, So why did Russia wage war against Ukraine? Here it is in 10 simple points, okay? And I've taken this one from One India. Ukraine has become the bone of contention between Washington and Moscow. So in reality, it's a proxy Cold War. Okay, that's all it is. It's it's not a new war. It's a proxy cold war between um, the Eastern Church and the Western Church and the Western um, mentality. Um, it's just a, a new chapter in the same garbage. Um, Russia wants to keep the, the West to keep Ukraine and the former Soviet nations out of NATO, halt weapons deployments near Russian borders, and and roll back the forces from Eastern Europe. Ukraine wants to join NATO, which has not gone down well with Russia. Russia thinks if Ukraine is allowed to join NATO, the group would move closer to Russia's borders. If Ukraine joins NATO, it's eligible to get support from the group's members in case of external attacks. Russia believes that Ukraine could attempt to take Crimea back. Uh, Russia demands the West to stay out of Ukraine as Putin uh, wants to restore Moscow's influence. Moreover, the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russia lost control of the 14 former republics, including Ukraine. Putin considers this as a tragic uh, event of shared by both countries. The Russian president demands guarantees from the West and Ukraine that will not join, and Ukraine demilitarize and become a neutral zone. Let me explain to you in a long shot. When the Soviet Union came down because of the Cold War, um, um, They signed treaties, but there were assurances given by the West that they would not expand NATO, the North American Treaty uh, Organization. They would not expand NATO eastwards. They would not antagonize Russia. Uh, They would stay out of war. Uh, But do you expect currents to stop? Do you expect, uh, um, you know, uh, waves to stop? Did you expect uh, the United States to stop its, uh, you know... um, power supremacist power mentality no it's not because that's what um abraham is about it's what i am the truth the life everyone thinks that each one is the truth so what did, what will happen at the end of the day you will clash you don't understand like a wave you're just going to come to the beach finish and go back now because of this look at the amount of money that that america has invested in war since the last 70 years 75 years since world war Two. All that money could have been invested in their country; it would have been so fantastic. But no, they have to go and fight. And same thing with the Soviet Union and Russia. Um, so um, after the uh, fall of the Soviet Union, uh, the rest gave uh, they gave um, assurances to um, to Russia that they would not expand NATO. They never kept their promise. They kept expanding NATO and they kept antagonizing uh, um, Putin and uh, Russia. They kept antagonizing, calling him names, calling a whole lot of things. But in reality, behind the scenes, they were both collaborating. They collaborated for the International Space Station. Both of them uh, have... have. Uh, you know, um, astronauts and cosmonauts going into space, in the space station, and uh, they collaborate. They collaborate on, on financial meta- matters, um, you know, with currency, uh, with a whole lot of things. They they collaborate on economics. They collaborate on fraud, money laundering, um, terrorism. They collaborate on plenty of things behind the scenes. But in front, they have to keep the narrative that, oh, my God, Russia's bad. The Soviet Union's bad. Russia's bad. This is bad. It's nonstop. It's non-stop. It doesn't stop. And they kept antagonizing. They kept antagonizing. What do you expect? Uh, at one point, Russia's going to come and say, you know, I've had enough of you idiots. I'm sorry, but um, I'm going to just, you know, go all out and finish this once and for all instead of dragging and dragging and dragging. He, they antagonize uh, Putin, Putin replicated, now they're saying Putin's bad. But why are the three fingers pointing back at you? Because you can't understand that when you point your fingers at someone else, you don't define who they are. When you point your fingers at someone else, you show them a mirror image of who you are because it's your currents that form the waves, not the waves that form the currents. And unless all of us understand this concept, we can learn from this junction. We can stop the war in our homes. We can have this conversation in our homes, stop the war in our homes, and we will stop the war on the streets. Until we stop the war in the streets, we will, stop the, we will not stop the war at the borders. So in order to stop the war at our borders, we have to have that conversation at home. We have to heal whatever the label, whatever the reason for the violence. It's not important. It's the same currents and waves. It's your mentality. Change your mentality. Offload the baggage. Offload the data. Go back into history. Thousands of years, and you'll see we've been fighting. And unless we do not understand whether the same ocean, the same currents, we're not going to heal. So we have to heal first from our journey. Make every single junction into an intellectual laboratory. Stop the war in our minds. Our aggression, our anger, Calm down, heal, and we will heal on the outside. We will have that conversation on the streets. Once we have that conversation on the streets, we'll have the conversation at our borders. So thank you very much, my friend. I hope you had a great, great time. I'm going to post a link to the 1054 schism on on, uh, my podcast. You can take a look at it. um, And yes, effectively, you can understand the schism. That is the foundation of this war in Ukraine as we go today. Thank you for your time. I wish you a great day, a great week, uh, weekend, and stay safe.